2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's wrap up this chapter today. Thank you for your continued prayers uh, for all those who are hurting uh, in our midst. And thank you for your continued ministry to them, um, to be sure. And uh, I trust the GLBI class got off to a good start this morning. And um, I'm confident that it did. We're looking forward to our whole church gathering on September 26th. We're going we're gonna to honor the Lord's Supper that night together. We'll have a few testimonies and then we'll break out together and just have a wonderful time just hanging out and, and having fun on the 26th. So I hope you have that uh, cleared off in your calendar. And then next Sunday morning, we'll hand out to all of you what uh, Sunday nights are going to look like for the rest of the fall through Christmas. Um, give a little bit more intentional direction in that regard. Okay? When I first uh, was married to Rhonda, we would uh, go to Kentucky for Christmas every other year. And celebrating Christmas at her grandparents, uh, Paul and Granny Taylor, that's what we called them, uh, in London, Kentucky. Jackson County was, was a great thrill. Um, they had a little restaurant out there in the country. It was called the Chat and Chew. And it was appropriately named. And the parking lot was full of pickups uh, with, with shotguns mounted behind the driver. And um, people would come from miles around because it was pretty much the only reasonable restaurant for miles around out there in the woods. And they chatted and they chewed. And um, I would go over and get all I wanted to eat for breakfast, all I wanted to eat for lunch, and all I wanted to eat for dinner. It's closed on Christmas Day for good reason. On Christmas Day, um, they had a tradition in their family, I guess, that had come over the years um, of, of a gift exchange. And apparently, one of the goals in the gift exchange was to give so much that um, to one person as the gifts were piled on top of that person, right? So like one person would open gifts at a time and that person's gifts would be taken to that person and they would be piled on that person before they could open their gift. And the whole goal was by the time the gifts were stacked up on that person as they were seated was to not see that person. <laughs> and we've got pictures to prove that that's, they met their goal. And I can remember one of those Christmases, Pa Taylor was the first to open, uh, being the eldest, and he would sit in his, in his easy chair, and they would just pile up gifts. And I can remember Pa stretching his neck, trying to see people until that last gift was way too high for him to even see anybody. Then he was allowed to, to open those gifts and to be the beneficiary of all that sharing. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that was a lot of joy. But you know what, Paul, because he was given to, he really knew how to give. It was with equal delight and joy that he loved watching everybody else, right, be toppled over and covered up by his gifts that he would give them. And it was this joy of reciprocal sharing on those Christmas mornings that was really uh, hard to describe, right? hard to describe. 
In a spiritual sense, in our texts that we've been studying here in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, we're going to finish this morning by that one sentence in verse 15, but thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Right? We've understood that this whole two-chapter section is bookended by the word grace. There's something overwhelming that God does in a heart when that heart is born again. And then there's something that God's grace does in that heart to keep that heart overwhelmed by being saved unto the sharing of gospel purpose. And it's all God's grace. If you're overwhelmed by God's grace and how he saved you, then you will constantly be overwhelmed by how you can share unto gospel progress. You always will be. That which has been given to you, you will want to constantly give back. We noticed last week when we read through this final portion of chapter 9 that God is really the centerpiece of all that's going on here in this sharing. He has shared his gift. We've been the recipients of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and now we have the opportunity by his grace to realize some benefits, to realize some benefits of God's sharing with us. So that's all we're doing in these verses. We're going through them and just realizing the spiritual divine benefit of having been gifted uh, by God's grace. And we'll continue that um, here this morning. Last week, remember we left off in 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Remember the superlatives of verse 8? And God is able, we studied that, to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency and everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, as it is written, and he quotes from Psalm 112 here, as is probably noted in your study Bible. He scattered abroad, this is God. God scattered abroad, he gave to the poor his righteousness endures forever. This is an Old Testament cross-reference, I believe, to keep the flow of the text moving forward. This God who is able, in a superlative fashion, to allow us to have all sufficiency in everything, is the God who just keeps seeding, who just keeps gifting his people so that they can learn by grace how to gift and how to share unto gospel purposes. Last week in verse 8, as we were wrapping up that verse, we wanted to focus on one particular word here, which is the word sufficiency. I think it's a, it's a word to note here for what I hope to be would be obvious reason. This was a word that was really commonly known in the New Testament culture at that time. It was a word often used by Greek philosophers, particularly among the Stoics of the Greek philosophers. It was used by them to promote a self-sufficiency. It was used to promote being a self-made 
person, particularly since the followers of the philosophers could only be men, the philosophers would teach them to be self-made men. The true success in the world is only found exclusively in being a self-made person. They were taught to live their truth, to, to do their thing, to be the best you possible. Be all you can be, make all you can make. Be independently wealthy. Be independently you. That was from a long time ago, but it sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? But Paul, knowing the usage of this word in that time, uses it for spiritual purposes. He, he turns that word 180 in its application and he teaches the believer that they have no sufficiency of themselves, but all the sufficiency that they have spiritually and practically is sourced in God who is able. Now think about that. It's a great spiritual lesson. Since all that we are in Jesus and all that we have that's been gifted to us by God is sourced in God, then it must be for an exclusive, dependent purpose. We're dependent on God, not independently driven to figure it out by ourselves. We're dependent on God to realize why he gave us Christ and gave us stuff. He gets to share with us so that we can share according to his mission. I really believe in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, if you want to cross-reference that in the margin of your Bibles here, that this is really what contentment is. Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain. Not in that context, I don't believe it's, uh, it's out of context here to use this as a cross-reference. Because contentment really, godly contentment is really sourced in understanding how God shared with us. And then the contentment that we have understanding that he has supplied all things spiritually and practically for us with never ending spiritual and practical resources so that we can share unto others for gospel purposes. And that should bring great contentment to our hearts. That's godliness. And contentment is not just merely contentment with stuff that we have. Certainly we're thankful for food, clothing, and shelter. All of us are. But I don't believe that's what the godliness with contentment is. That's great gain in 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Same author writing here, obviously, in 2 Corinthians 9. Contentment is being contented with why God shared Jesus with us and why he shares stuff with us for his purpose, for his eternal purpose. And he says here, that you may have an abundance for every good deed. End of verse 8. That's it. If you tie that to what James says, the head of the Jerusalem church, right? to have faith without works means you have a dead faith. 
you show your faith by your work. So this has everything to do with faith, which was shared to us by grace in Christ, by God. Sharing resources unto gospel purposes is directly tied to our faith. By nature, it's tied to our faith. So by action, it's tied to the same. It's the spreading of our faith. So it's all about eternal purposes. And remember, the whole context is about the sharing of excess. To each believer in this room that's overwhelmed by what God's grace has done in your hearts, and then you're overwhelmed with all that God's blessed us with, right? And we all share to the needs of Grace Church of Mentor and its eternal purpose. There will be an excess that needs to be ministered to others outside of this church. There will be unto eternal purpose. And this is showing our faith by the good work of sharing resources. So sharing of excess is a good work that puts on display the gift of our faith that God's granted to us. This is rather sobering, but kind of exciting to consider. Could it be that the Lord is able to supply an abundance through you, through us, together to share unto endless good deeds for gospel purpose in this way? Could it be? Again, we're post-Acts in this context, and I really think what we're considering here is something that of an ecclesiastical normalcy. I just think this is what spiritually healthy churches are and what they do. That's why, as we've studied in the past, many, many texts that really sharing of resources is never a matter of manipulation, coercion, or whatever. Just God's people, spirit-filled, they just beg to share. They just beg to share because it's being shared unto a trusted and trustworthy purpose. Right? The spread of the gospel. So, that's verse 8. Verse 9, we talked about Psalm 112 kind of being this necessary and added uh, Old Testament context about um, all things being sourced in the great divine sower, God. Right? Um, and we understand the nature of what he's done is eternal because it's his righteousness that endures forever. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now you can underline that phrase, harvest of your righteousness, if you'd like. That's where we're headed. I really believe that's one of the benefits that we uh, are going to understand and realize. One of the benefits of having been graced spiritually and practically is so that we can sow, not sparingly, but sow exceedingly so that we might know an exceeding great harvest of our righteousness. Do you remember the feeding of the 5,000? 
Five loaves, two what? Two fish. You guys know the, the, the hermeneutic, well, the cultural understanding of that day when a New Testament writer says it's 5,000, there's probably 5,000 heads of household. Didn't include women and children. The assumption was is that they were there with them. So we're probably talking about at least 10 to 15,000 mouths that were fed that day, if not more, from five loaves and two fish. Kind of keep that in your mind. Consider what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 55.10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word which, be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. In the scriptures, we don't ever despise the day of small things. Especially when God's influence is behind the influence of those small things. The Lord can take the smallest seed, the smallest portion, and multiply its kind. Do you remember the widow and her might? Giving in the Jewish time was not a private matter. It was very much a public matter. You would go to the temple square and there were different vases that you could give shaped like trumpets, shaped like different shapes. Right? And you would publicly go and you would drop in what you had. And all she had was a mite, which was for her, demonstrate. she gave everything that she had. And God used that simple gift which demonstrated all who she was and had to be a testimony to many people who had much more than her, right? Who were giving out of their wealth, not according to her wealth like she was. And God used that simple little example of that sweet lady to be a testimony to many. Most garden seed, when it's first planted is small, isn't it? I was amazed at the size of the seed of most plants that we would sow in the spring. How in the world is this little thing going to become so much? I don't know about your backyard, but my backyard this year was, seemed like it was about five years ago. It seems like there's more acorns than grass this year. The last time that happened in my backyard, most of those acorns took root, right? And they began to sprout up. And I believe my wife and I had to pluck up some 158 future giant oak trees in the spring before the root systems got so big you couldn't pull them up, right? It's amazing how that small acorn, when it takes roots, can become a giant, great, mighty oak in time. It's simple to comprehend, then, when we consider God's world of creation. The Lord does the same thing 
When we plant seeds of sharing for gospel purposes out of our excess. And Paul calls it here clearly the harvest of your righteousness. He's telling the Corinthian people, you are going to harvest righteousness from this. Your faith is showing good deeds. Your good deeds and sharing to your own flock is going to yield an excess. And this excess is going to impoverished, hurting saints in Jerusalem. And we'll find out here what kind of harvest, the nature and the function of that harvest as we go through these virtues, uh, these verses together. But be sure, Corinthian people, that this is not an investment in a futile purpose. As a matter of fact, your harvest of righteousness is going to include the way the Jerusalem church worships their God, personally and collectively. And it's going to have everything to do with their ability to help you yield your own spiritual harvest. It's a blessing to me because... The Macedonian church certainly brought to the table out of their poverty small seed. Remember their example from early chapter 8. But they did it never thinking that because they could only bring such small seed, why give if I just have no influence because it's so small? Remember, we've never talked about quantity in this text, only quality. The spirit-filled believer never really thinks about how little or how great. They're overwhelmed by God's grace. That's what they're thinking about. And they're always thinking joyfully and sacrificially about sharing under the opportunity. And it's always, like we said, according to the wealth that God's given them, not out of, if it's unto a trusted purpose. There's a harvest of righteousness here. To be yielded, to be drawn in. And your sharing is seed planting. Your ability to share is from God, and when shared with God's eternal purpose, it does bring a harvest. One author said, But such seed as God has supplied, they had sown in liberality, knowing that He who is the Lord of the annual miracle of the harvest will take. What is in man's eyes a ludicrously inadequate quantity and multiply and increase it until it becomes a full blessing to great multitudes. I believe Paul, when he wrote this harvest of righteousness, had in mind Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, where the minor prophet said, So with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Every time we share here to meet the needs of the flock of grace unto eternal trusted purpose, God assures us that he will continually fill you up with the ability to keep on sharing unto the same. When each of us owns this, each of us, there will be an excess for our body to do the same for other like-minded gospel bodies for the sake of the spread of the gospel. Example, I've commended you for doing this more and more. I really do believe that grace has a lot to teach us 
a portion of us here what this really means. But I really do think as a church, we're getting it. So recently we had some excess available to be able to send a ministry team to Wisconsin. Do you remember that? And this ministry team went to Wisconsin and they took your excess and they ministered that excess to this church in Wisconsin that was in great need of encouragement. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if all the men who went on that trip really realized the layers of encouragement that church needed beyond just having their lobby and their restrooms uh, revitalized or restored. Let me take you back about five to six years of our first encounter with this church. This first encounter with this church um, had as its head pastor a man whose brother I knew who used to be my wife's Christian school principal in Muncie, Indiana at Heritage Hall Christian School. So I had a relationship with this family for 30 years before I met this man. I met this man who's at the sunset years of his ministry. He's getting ready to retire, but he can't yet because he hasn't realized 2 Timothy 2.2. God hasn't gifted him a man uh, to be able to be trusted at that point to take his place. So he was hanging on. At that point, that church was uh, not understanding what it meant to be um, individually doing the Great Commission. So you had an opportunity from your excess to allow this pastor and his assistant pastor to come here to watch how you function and to learn what God was doing through you. And that excess brought them here to learn spiritual ownership of the Great Commission. They learned from that many things, but one thing that they did learn through your help is that the man that he had to replace him was already with him and actually came with him to that seminar. And as they watched you. And God allowed that pastor to understand and that assistant pastor and the whole church in time to understand that, that, that God had already shared with them the blessings of their future, but it wasn't, it wasn't realized until another church's excess could minister to their need. That church went back to Wisconsin and among its fellowship of churches in Wisconsin passionately began to spread the blessings of what was shared with them spiritually and resource-wise with many churches throughout the state of Wisconsin. And many churches in that state began to listen. And now when you had the opportunity to take your excess and go back to that church and actually refurbish its lobby, who's now, um, whose, whose pastor now is that second man in charge, they've seen a successful transition. They continue to learn spiritual reproduction. They have that influence throughout their whole state. And now you went back and even did again what you did first spiritually, you did practically and the refurbishment of their building. And now that's even taken their testimony and even spread it broader in their own community for the gospel's sake. Amen. That's a harvest of your righteousness. I can't explain it any other way. And at Grace Church of Mentor, you've had the opportunity to do that in many states throughout the country. I encourage you to come to Florida. January 17th, 18th, and 19th, and be eyewitnesses of what the sharing of your excess has done 
unto spiritual reproduction and the encouragement of the flocks of bodies all over the place. And my friends, there's a portion of our congregation that still doesn't grasp this. And look what you've been able to do in the harvest of your righteousness with those who do get it. And Paul's trying to encourage the Corinthian believers, look, you've planted seeds, you've got the whole offering going, we know you got sidetracked, finish it up, because I know, I just know what I know. He said, I've seen it a hundred times, if not more, you will have a harvest. And at Grace, as a pastor here, I would love for you to realize that full harvest continually as we give unto trusted cause and trusted purpose. So, verse 11. He goes on to say, more added blessings as a result of your sharing. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through you is producing thanksgiving to God. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. That's a lot. It's not even done here. The Greek sentence continues to verse 14. We'll get to that in the next blessing. But think about verses 11 to 13 with me here for just a few moments, if you would. Obviously, giving glory to God, giving thanks to God here is a theme. Paul's saying here, their sharing caused him to give thanks to God. Then he's saying their sharing will cause the Jerusalem church to give thanks to God. right? And then all join in one chorus of glorifying God together for how... They're realizing this harvest of righteousness together, sharing excess to take care of need for gospel progress. But there's some pretty deep and wide things happening here. Uh, Look at verse 12 with me. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. See that word fully supplying? Now there's a Greek word in the Bible. It's the Greek word plerao, and it just means to fully supply. Right? Fully supply. It's like you showing up to a a dinner as a hungry teenager and, and... you just know by looking at the table, if you go away hungry, it's your own fault. I mean, what, what's been put on the table before you is, is plenty. It's full. As a matter of fact, you're probably going to package it up in Tupperware and you're going to put it in the freezer for leftovers. Okay? And leftovers in my house were ridiculously valuable. Right? The house I grew up in and the house that I just transition my last kid out of leftovers were incredibly valuable the word here in its basic form just means you're going to go away full 
But this is not the basic form. As a matter of fact, I think it's the only time this form of this word is used in the New Testament. So let's go back that and read that again. And you will be enriched in everything, all liberality. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints. So this isn't, you're not just taking care of the needs of the saints. This is a super abundance beyond caring for the Jerusalem needs saints that the Jerusalem people get the benefit from the excess of the excess that you sent them. And who's doing this? God. I don't ever, ever want to detach this from what God does. You say, Pastor Tim, I can't share that much. I can't do that. There's just no way. And you know what? You're right. You can't. That's what Satan wants you to, that's, that's, the, that's the line of reason he wants you to embrace because then you never will. Remember the harvest, the small seed? God breaks the bread of your small and gives a a harvest of righteousness. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. And quality of gift is sourced in grace. The grace of the ultimate giver, God. And I find it amazing here. And folks, this does mean what it says. It's not only that the Macedonian and the Corinthian churches and all the churches that participate in this offering would have their need met plus. It says that the Jerusalem church would have their needs met plus. And God is a plus kind of God. And this is the antithesis of a gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity. Because the purpose for your sharing is so not that you won't realize the American dream. The purpose for your sharing is to have a harvest of righteousness. And grace never stops sharing unto that reality and that goal. And it's always reciprocal that we'll see here in just a moment. I want to ask your forgiveness for my excitement about this for two reasons. Number one, I don't even know if I'm conveying the reason for my excitement. Because I don't think I've ever understood this text like this before. And I hope I'm not off base. But number two, if I'm conveying the reason for the excitement that's here, I want all of us to realize something that... and it's a scary thing for a pastor to say who's probably honestly trying to treat God's word, that many of us, maybe all of us, may never have understood before. That this God who is able to superlatively share with you in his salvation will, not might, he will share with you to be able to do a good deed by sharing with others because it's about gospel purpose and gospel spread, not about your independent wealth. Because remember, we're dependently tied to God's purpose. We have all sufficiency unto his purpose. So that means that the people of God will never go, like the psalmist said, 
without bread. You say, Pastor Tim, I'm a recently graduated college kid with $20,000 of school debt. And I don't have a job yet. My refrigerator's empty. If the church knew that, the church would care for that, and they should. Why? Because they're very interested in your gospel presence in your community. And typically, when we've been gifted with food after we've had surgery, and the church gives us food, oh my stars. It's like a waterfall of food. And it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And we end up giving leftovers to other people because we don't want the food to go to waste. That's just what the church does when it knows about the need. So I think this is everything to do about being transparent with need. Amen. We've got to know because we will share. And then we have a promise. I'm never going to worry about what I'm sharing with you where my next meal's coming from because God's able. Amen. He just does it. And he's going to keep doing it. He doesn't have a period at the end of that giving sentence. He just keeps sharing so that you can keep harvesting for gospel purposes. Does that make sense? Yeah. I hope so. Because really, folks, understanding this whole context, this context within this whole context really should be bringing all of us really to the edge of our seat of being Macedonian beggars to give. Amen. I mean, really, if you're really going to understand the nature of this text, right? And I have been preached on giving for my stars. I've been here 35 years. And I've never preached on giving. Do you know that? Not one time. So no one here, because I preach through text, and if the text talks about giving, I'll talk about it. But if it doesn't, I don't. I just preach the text. No one can say, oh, this church is all about giving. You can't say that. Sorry. There's proof in digital form now on websites. Things. That's <laughs> not true. But when the text talks about it, and you really understand the text, and it's really unto eternal purpose, not to empire building, not to the building of the reputation of a man, but unto a harvest of righteousness. My goodness, you start waiting with, with bated breath. How can I share to this? Amen. So anyways, that's plerao, or this form of plerao. We know from Romans 15 that Corinth did finish this gift. Paul reports that to Rome. Read that chapter. They did wrap it up. Paul told the Romans that when he wrote to them, their gift coupled with others from Macedonia and abroad would cause the Jerusalem saints to rejoice. And their rejoicing would be on a number of, for a number of profound reasons. We're going to go a little bit deeper here as we wrap up. You would think that their thanks and glory to God would be merely for just receiving the gift to take care of their physical needs. It was, but it goes much deeper and much broader. They were rejoicing to God, not just for the receiving of the gift, which gave them an excess of their own. There were spiritual reasons why Jerusalem would glorify God. You see, there was a time when Jews would get a lot of heartburn 
from Peter and Paul's mission to take the gospel to mere Gentiles. Many couldn't comprehend that God could save a Gentile. And then, on top of that, they had heard the problems that had come from these Gentile Corinthian people in their own church. And certainly were probably thinking in Jerusalem, see, we told you Gentiles couldn't be saved. Look how messed up their church is. Remember why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians? Immorality in the Corinthian church. Worship without order of the most horrible kind. A misuse of spiritual gifts. The horrible, irreverent mishandling of the Lord's Supper. They were influenced by internal religious unbelief. They were taking each other to court. Remember 1 Corinthians 6? All sorts of carnalities abounded. Insensitivities to weaker brethren in the church. Treating other Christian brethren like doormats in their own church. They didn't know how to love. And they allowed favoritism according to particular kinds of spiritual gifts that were being misused in the church. That's why you have 1 Corinthians 13, right? There's faith, hope, and love, but love is the greatest. If you don't have love, you're nothing like a drawer full of silverware being shaken as to your sound and your influence. This church had problems. So saved Jews and Jerusalem would say, see, we told you. Take the gospel to the Gentiles and see what happens. But they needed to know how Paul's stern, inspired rebuke would by grace bring the Corinthian church back into fellowship with their God. And it did, right? That's why you have 2 Corinthians. His first letter worked. Now they're growing. Now they're moving. The Jerusalem Jews needed to know that. The Corinthians are now right with God. They were becoming more and more gospel-driven as savers unto life, unto life and death unto death. You remember 2 Corinthians chapter 2. They inspired the beginning of the giving to the church of Jerusalem. And Paul knows that if they finish it, they will demonstrate the operation of true grace to the believing Jews in Jerusalem that will show the miracle of grace in the hearts of these Corinthians. So they're giving thanks to God, not just for the receiving of the gift, but my goodness, God does save Gentiles too. Oh my goodness, and now they're ministering grace to us. What great encouragement that must have been to the truly Spirit-filled believer in the church of Jerusalem to keep moving in gospel purpose. I think this not only has spiritual value, but it has racial value as well. Right? How could a clean Jew accept a gift from an unclean Gentile? You can read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. Please mark that down. The wall of partition had been torn down in Christ between the two, and they'd both been made one in him. We're not all Christians. We're all Christians. We're not all primarily defined by our ethnic background. We're all in Christ. 
And this gift coming from them was coming from born-again people who were in Christ, not born-again struggling people or professing to be born-again struggling people who happened to be unclean Gentiles. The Jewish people at this time in Jerusalem would receive this gift, and it was told by Paul here they would rejoice, and they did, because they fully accepted it from Christians, not Corinthian Gentiles. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. In Christ, Christ cleans up all that racial stuff, doesn't he? When we all come to know him. Jesus was acutely aware of racial division. You know the story of John 4, right? With Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus knew that there was racial problems in his day among the Jews. Racial divide is the consequence of sin that divides us from God. Christ came to reconcile us back to God that in him we can be one in the righteousness of Christ. And for the Jerusalem saints to receive this gift from Gentile believers was clear proof that the racial division between the two people groups had been taken out of the way. And they all had common goal and eternal purpose in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul is the one all along that's been aware of the division. Unnecessary as it was, because he was the division between Jew and Gentile before his conversion. He was acutely aware of what it meant to be a racist as a religious Jew. Paul was, he knew that. In Christ, no more. Now, his life goal is to spread the gospel to all and to have them ministered together under the spreading of the gospel to the world. And he did so with passion and a strong sense of urgency. And I would say we should too. We should too. So there were immeasurable spiritual and racial reasons why thanksgiving was offered by all to God. But think of this. There was also ecclesiastical reasons why. Multiple churches were following the example of leaders leading the way. Many churches were learning of the interdependent way of aiding gospel progress as they, as they themselves were completely dependent on God being the sharer of his grace to them so they could share it to others. There was never one church doing it all. There's no ecclesiastical empire seeking to gain the fellowship of everyone under their own mission. This is many autonomous works interdependently graced by God to work together unto sharing to fulfill a need in order to maintain and gain ground for gospel purposes. For these spiritual, racial, and ecclesiastical reasons, Paul is saying, and Paul is sharing, that the church in Jerusalem could offer thanksgiving and glory to God, who is the Lord of all harvest. And notice verse 14. Another spiritual fruit, a reality, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. 
all of a sudden, the Jews don't see Gentile Corinthians. All they see when they put on their glasses is grace. All they see is Jesus operating through the lives of these Corinthian people. It's all they see. And they're not taking those glasses off. <laughs> That's what they see. And because they see the grace, you see the word yearn here? It's the, it's, it's the word lust. Remember 1 Peter 2, as newborn babes long after the sincere milk of the word of God, that's epithumia, same word here. Look at this. Look at what God's grace has done to bring divide to unity and unity to purpose. They're yearning and the way they're demonstrating what grace has done in their heart to lust after them in love for gospel purposes is just they're praying for them. And this word for prayer is, there's, as you know, there's a number of words for prayer in the Greek language. This word for prayer is, is they're praying for them because now, now listen, this is the Jerusalem saints praying for the Corinthian saints. And they're now praying because they believe that the Corinthian people, they believe the Macedonian people, they believe all the people that partake in this offering that just gave to them will probably have the same specific need that they had before they got this offering. And they're looking forward to the opportunity of sharing back with them what they've been given. Who does that? God does that. You don't ever have to worry about needs being cared for if it's about gospel intentionality. Ever. Do you understand me? Ever. Ever. None of you. If it's about gospel intentionality, if you're going to embrace the gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity... You're going to get deceived and you're going to go out there and you're going to have this blind faith that's going to try to give so that you can get rich. And that's not what this is saying at all. That's a false gospel that's out there. God's gospel demonstrated through his people functions this way unto gospel purpose. And he said, if you don't get it yet, verse 15, but thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. You know, we just got done with the Olympics, right? Someone gets a gold medal placed around their neck or they placed it themselves around their neck, I guess. Right? And they're getting interviewed, right? How do you feel? And what's the next thing they say? It's mind numbing. They all say the same thing. It's like, get creative, please. Words can't express how I feel right now, right? That has just become so cliche. Or they say, uh, what's the other thing they say? It's so popular, you guys could probably tell me. I'm just drawing a blank right now. It's surreal. <laughs> or it's, it's a dream come true. I can't explain it. Listen, there are words in the English dictionary that can describe how you're feeling when you get a gold medal, Right? Or when something wonderful happens to you on terra firma, the earth, right? This word truly means, in the original language, there are no words to describe 
what God did for you and for me in Jesus Christ. It truly is joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's the spiritual gift that always gives to overflowing, that always gives to excess. And then practically, we take that same grace, share it for the needs of grace, each person. Hey, by the way, kids, my dad taught me when I was a little boy, even though I had just like a, a couple lawns that I mowed, he always taught me, say, hey, look, take a little bit right up front and make sure you give that to church. And I thought that that was a good habit for me to get in as a young Christian boy. And I did that, right? But now, as you train your kids, maybe we can say, you know what? Give this unto God's gospel purpose. Give this unto his mission because his church is all about his mission. The mission's been given to his church. Let's make sure, kids, that the need at grace is cared for. And if everybody does that, then we'll have excess to share with others. And I can remember coming home, we'd go down Bellflower, drive my bike. I had a rope I tied onto my bike seat that pulled my lawnmower. I, it just did. It bounced all over the place, tipped over. I made it. I made it. And that was before these roads were well paved. I mean, this thing would bounce, right? Made it, started, mowed it, came home, had my 20 bucks, and two bucks. Two bucks was going to the church. I can remember when I got to Christian college, I was paying my own way through school. I had to work every Saturday off campus, right? And I can remember getting that 50 bucks for working off campus all day long. I would come back, and the first thing I would do is I would go to the bookstore, and I would get changed for 50 bucks because I would take a certain portion of that 50 bucks. I'd go to the post office at the school, and I'd mail that paper money back to Grace Church of Metter, right? So my school debt... It's a gazillion dollars. Every semester, the school told me, don't come back. Every semester, I'm not kidding you, every semester of all 10 semesters I was there, you're not welcome back. Why? Your debt's too big. Okay. So I just kept working and I kept sharing. I kept working and I kept sharing. I never stopped going back. God always supplied. But that's not the story. Why did he do that? He was sharing with me that his sharing with me in Christ and my sharing back to him, if it was for eternal purpose, God would always supply for me to keep doing his will so that I could with others be about his mission. I'm telling you, looking back on it now, that's why God does what he does. And Paul's saying it right here. He will always take care of your need so there's never a reason or, an oper- or, or a situation where you can't share. None of you have too much debt. None of you have too much of a house payment or, or whatever to not share. Grace just shares. Amen. This unspeakable gift just shares. It's Jesus for heaven's sake. <laughs> he just shares. And as you share, he promises to share with you. And the gospel purpose. And if we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. But if you learn to sow bountifully, according to, not out of, what God's graced you with, each of you 
I think the Bema seat's going to be a wonderful time for all of us. I really think. Now you think about that. Live faithfully so that you can hear, well done, thou good, and what? You can say it. Faithful servant. What does faithful servant mean now in relationship to this context? Either you are about eternal trusted gospel purpose or you're not. If you don't share according to these two passages, and I think there's still a small portion of our church that's not, you are not about gospel purpose. You are not showing your faith by your works. Therefore, you will not and are not part of a harvest. And that's a scary moment for you at Judgment Day. But for the majority of you who are, our heart is to continually share with you what your harvest of righteousness is. Because you are sharing your excess and God is giving a harvest of righteousness and I don't think we've seen anything yet compared to what it would be. And the rest of you, if God's grace would arrest your attention in this way, I just want you to know what a harvest of righteousness is for the gospel's sake. Okay? And we'll leave giving thanks. Right? Amen. We'll leave giving thanks. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you. But thanks be to you for your indescribable gift. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the millennia of riches that we have in him both spiritual and practical. And thank you for sourcing us spiritually and practically so that we can share unto the very reason why Jesus went on the greatest missions trip of all time. We thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and went on a missions trip. Lord, he went on a trip to be obedient unto the death of the cross for us. Help us to take that sharing of himself with us and just go planting our seeds as small as we feel they may be and let you break the bread of that sharing obedience and the gospel purpose and give us wisdom, God. Give me, give all of us wisdom how exactly to do this so that everyone in this church is informed in specific how their sharing really is unto need here. Not unto superfluous purpose, but unto need and gospel need so that we can get excited about sharing an eternal trusted purpose so that we can take excess, so we can do all that you've included in your word here so that we might know your harvest of righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.